Right, it's recording. Say the words, say the words. Stu, say the words. Say the words. Say the words. That's not the song, is it? Oh, what <laughs> say, say my name. Yeah. <laughs> say my name, say my name. Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone's keeping safe out there. How are we doing, guys? Matt Guy here. You'll have to speak up. I'm wearing a vest. <laughs> it's um, it's a, it's a very unique look. And well, we've we've known each other for what two years, maybe three yeah. years. I never knew Matt's tattoo array was so uh, extensive until I saw this this spectacle tonight. You know, I'm a modest guy, mate. I I don't you know I don't like to get myself on show that often. Um, so this is a rare treat before we get to Patreon and this becomes Diamond <laughs> Tier member only content. That's it. If they want the flesh, they've got to pay for it, I think. Exactly. So only fair. <laughs> so imagine my surprise today, gents. I was making my lunch and I got a double yoker egg. Woo-hoo, I cannot tell woo-hoo. you how excited I was when that hit the uh, the bottom of the pan. I did a little jig and everything. That's how bad lockdown was getting to me. <laughs> I was excited over a double yoker. That, those, I don't know about. I don't think they're quite astronomical odds, but it's a real, it's a rare occurrence, isn't it? Double yoker. I've, I've only ever yeah. happened once to me. I, I think this was the first time that I can remember it. I know that in M and S or somewhere you can buy packs that are guaranteed double yokers, but this wasn't that. And I don't shop in M and S because I'm not a middle class wanker. So. Yeah, I was stunned. It turns out it's one in a thousand, which doesn't make it feel as special now. But I thanks, Matt. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but I've I've definitely had more than a thousand eggs in my life, and I've only had one double yoker. I've got to be like you know, when I have a portion of eggs, I have three to four. You know, I don't like eggs, and whenever eggs are around me, I disperse. So, but even <laughs> even knowing this. I, and the uh, the rarity of it, I don't know anyone who's had a double yoker. So you can you can claim this one as a win, definitely. It's definitely a win. It's a, a W in the uh, in the column. That's what we like to hear. And speaking of wins, we got to watch Money Plane <laughs> this week. <laughs> uh, quite a unique movie, I think. Uh, <laughs> it's probably the best way to put it. So preconceptions going into the film, then, fellas. What did we think when I told you about this one? It would be shit. Yeah, it would be shit. <laughs> um, because, because it stars, what well, I say, X, now current um, WWE superstar in it. The assumption is it's going to be terrible um, on the back of it straight away, especially one that isn't known for his acting work. I think he appeared in an episode of Vikings, maybe, or a show uh, think... like that. Yeah, he became a central part in the later seasons. I think he was quite uh, well regarded in it, which having seen this, you wouldn't necessarily think that would be the case. Absolutely not. Yeah, he was He was someone who even I knew, knew of from the past. And <laughs> and since it's been a long time, um, since I used to watch it religiously, I didn't even know his real name. 
So when <laughs> that's obviously not a good sign, is it? It's up there with you, Dwayne Johnson being an actual name that people, most people would know, as well as The Rock. You, if you know Edge, you know Edge. You don't know his actual name. Adam Copeland. Copeland. Yeah. See, uh, uh, it's one of them where it looks superimposed on the poster. It looks like it's going to be a terrible time, but was it really? No, it wasn't. Well, I mean, the poster's quite misleading, really. So we get an image on the poster, and it's got Denise Richards, Edge, Thomas Jane, and um, Kelsey Grammer above an image of someone who looks like they're in the army and the woman who I still don't know what her actual name is because she's just basically the eye candy in the film. That's pretty much her role. And none of that really comes to play in the rest of the film, so that post is quite misleading. I mean, Denise Richards is in this film for all of 30 seconds. Yeah, that was on my notes. Like, is there? A, why was she cast, if anything, other than a favour? Because anybody could have played that role and added the same that she did. Do you know what I mean? She doesn't add anything to it. So it's a strange one. Yeah. I mean, her career has, to be perfectly honest, hit the shits over the last decade or so, probably even longer than that now. So this sort of felt like it could have been Tara Reid in Sharknado. <laughs> that sort of, I need something to get back on track. But like Tara Reid had a fairly major role in that film. So as you say, I, I don't know what she really brought to the film. It was a bit of a, a strange one. She doesn't really look... You know, I know I, I absolutely lambasted a few people in the past about how the... Uh... The, the bad signs of uh, plastic surgery, but it's fair play to her. She doesn't look like she's had anything done. She just looks like she's got old gracefully. And Oh, I don't know. I, I've got it down that she looks like the reincarnation of Faye Dunaway from Inconceivable. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> she can't. She looks fine. She just looks older. It's You look at it, you already brought up Tara Reid, so we might as well go all in on Tara Reid. And she's a car crash disaster. And, other than her face, amazingly. But even that, you look at her now compared to the late 90s and you can still see she's the same person. Mm. You couldn't see that her face done away. No, you are very true there. So IMDb describes this film as a professional thief with $40 million in debt and his family's life are on the line. He must commit one final heist rob a futuristic airborne casino filled with the world's most dangerous criminals. You're a gambling man, Jack. Not anymore. Once a gambling man, always a gambling man. Let's go, let's go! You bet everything you have. Toss up a coin. One side. You, your family, live the life they always dreamed of. On the other side, you lose everything. You owed a lot of money to some very bad people. So I bought your debt. Now you're gonna have to repay me that debt. Can we just get to the job? There's a legend in the underworld. To those who know, it's the money plane. A bulletproof casino in the sky, untouchable by any government agency. Whatever you want to wager on, the money plane has you covered. Russian roulette. Or it is they carry up to a billion on board in crypto and millions in cash. I want you and your crew to take down the house. It's insane. 
Yeah. Heck, might even be a good time. Now, without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare for takeoff. There's control of the cockpit. You're dead! Your families are all dead! You, your crew, and everyone you ever met! Dead! By the time you touch down! Now bring me my money! Because obviously it's a heist film, we've got to start with a voiceover. Mm -hmm. That's just de rigueur, isn't it? It's the one thing that must be done. It is. I thought um, my my very first note was Edge sounds really cool in this. I thought they made him sound cool and a bit of a badass at first. But then I realised, oh, this is filmed like a TV show and a terrible Channel 5 TV show (laughs) that completely ruined anything that the, the opening monologue ever gave well you say tv show there was two people in this from hawaii 5 mm. and it felt very hawaii 5 so edge tells us that he has learned a lot of things and a job well done consists of three parts the right crew there are how things are and how things appear to be and plan a is only as good as your plan b I expected them to come back a little bit more into the storyline as it develops, but (laughs) not really, to be honest. (laughs) The voiceover is played out to a scene of Edge walking into a building with four armed security guards and a metal detector, telling them he is here for an important meeting. The problem with this is the backdrop of this scene. There are parts of the building that look completely unfinished. There's like exposed brickwork (laughs) and then office-style petitioning. Like, there's even a poster hung on the wall. Not, like, framed. An <laughs> actual poster with fucking blue tack. It looks like one of those seeing eye uh, pictures from the 90s. Yeah, it does It does look like a bit of a hipster cafe, as a, like, with all that exposed brickwork, as opposed to, like, a high-tech vault for a painting that's worth mm. millions and millions of dollars. So Edge is in this warehouse-come-place-of-important-business to steal a painting. But when he gets into the room with the painting he and his crew find out that they have been set up and that the painting has been moved already. The crew escape just in the nick of time. Edge goes to see his mob boss, Darius Emmanuel Grouch III, better (laughs) known as The Rumble, played by Dr. Fraser Crane. Crane gives us an exposition dump. He tells Edge that he bought him when he paid off Edge's debts from bad people who would have killed him. Dr. Crane says that because Edge failed to get him the painting, he owes him money with interest. To pay him off, Fraser says Edge needs to rob the money plane, a flying casino where you can bet on anything. If you want to bet on a dude fucking an alligator, <laughs> you can do it on the money plane. I, I want to know what the actual, like, what is the outcome of that? Are you Ed- betting on the man, like, fucking the alligator to completion? Yeah, or I, if, don't, I don't understand it. Does it get bitten off? That's <laughs> yeah, there was one part here where Kelsey Grammer's voice is fucking incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's awesome. I um, 
I just laughed because in my head, all I heard was Edge was trying to get to the Rumble again for like another year, <laughs> like another year, because this would have been like not long, presumably after like he appeared in the Royal Rumble <laughs> the year, for that year. And all I could think of in my head was, oh, look, did he just say he's trying to get to the Rumble? I was like, no, nah, I must have been said. It must be a Freudian slip. <laughs> So obviously we're about 10, well, I think we're eight minutes into the film at this point. It seems really, really shoddy. Like that opening scene tells you everything I needed to know about this film. Like it was in an office block, but it was also a museum and a warehouse with high-tech locks, but also you could just push the door and it would go. You can tell (laughs) this is going to be cheap as bollocks. What did you pair think of the, uh, the opening salvos? That all the money had gone on the uh, on his house. That that's that's what it seemed. And <laughs> like you, know, I've been. I didn't look that closely at, at the scenery because as soon as it started, you knew, like you said, you knew what it was going to be like. So I thought, well, let's just not let's turn your brain off now. As uh, mm. Ash was saying last week, and yeah, yeah. it was. Um, it from what little expectation I had of this film was gone in five minutes <laughs> <laughs> it was um it just looked atrocious didn't it um yeah. really wooden from the start and, not, and i mean and i mean wooden in both sense of the words in that like it was just cl- very clearly makeshift sets that had put no time or effort into it um but i think the film especially as the film goes on knows its its limitations and takes a piss out of itself to be honest yeah. as it goes along mm, yeah I, mean, I had that as my my first note was dude fucking an alligator. That was my first note, <laughs> but and and to be honest, I did burst out laughing. So it, it I think this was the theme of the rest of the film, and most of it when Kelsey Grammer was on screen because it it was just it was played for laughs, kind of as soon as they got to the plane air quotes. <laughs> yeah, the plane. <laughs> uh, Edge then goes away to tell his team what is happening. We get an introduction to the team. We've got Iggy, who is on tech support. He is played by the writer and director of the film, Andrew Lawrence. We've got Sex Appeal, Isabel. She's also the fighter. And we've got Trey, the nerd. They're not happy about the job, as it is so dangerous. Next up, they go straight to Edge's house, where we see his family. Edge reads his daughter, Robin Hood, for bedtime. The kid asks him a question, and before he has even started to answer, she has closed her eyes and fallen asleep. (laughs) Within five seconds, she's like fast asleep. Denise Richards comes into the room. They have a full-blown conversation at normal levels. The kid doesn't even stir. (laughs) Like, I mean, she must be fucking narcoleptic or something. (laughs) The other thing I quite laughed at is uh, just after this bit, when Denise Richards and Edge hug... Because he's going away on this business trip, so to speak. Uh, they hug, and then she says to him, we'll pick this up later. Like, it wasn't even a sexy hug. <laughs> like, I, it was like what I've hugged you after a night out and we're hammered. It was that level. Like, nothing's happening. Yeah. Not a sexy hug. The following day, we get to the plane. I say we get to the plane. This is clearly not a plane. The set is awful. Like, I'm expecting to see exposed brickwork again. It's that bad. <laughs> it doesn't even look this the right shape to be a plane. It's just a, no. It's I, mean, I don't know what I expected, but that was I mean that was the main thing about the whole thing. As soon as um, 
because I thought, oh, well, when they're in this anti <laughs> context celebrations there for a, a betting win. <clears throat> but as soon, how much was he? £146. Not bad. Yeah, as soon as they're, they're doing that ridiculous check-in thing with the um, put your uh, put your weapons in the box. Yeah. And it, it looked like backstage at a wrestling gig with the black curtains. <clears throat> the setting up shot was that of, a, it was an overhead shot at an airport. And then you go inside and there's just these black billowing curtains everywhere. Like, that's not a fucking airport. <laughs> no, not one I've ever been to anyway. <laughs> I know this is a secret evil airport where the, the uh, super futuristic money plane is. Maybe that's the point. That it's, it's so futuristic, it looks like a warehouse. Well, <laughs> yeah, I thought it, it. I thought it was going going to go down the pretty robot route with the stewardesses because they were so, like, smiley Stepford wives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought that was, like, how, how this was going to end up. <laughs> robots. <laughs> yeah. Why not? I mean, is that the strangest thing that would have happened in this film? Probably not. <laughs> so Isabel introduces herself to the rest of the flight attendants. I'm pretty certain if you were running this highly legal operation, you would know your flight attendants well in advance. You wouldn't just have them rocking up on the day and saying, oh, yeah, I'm on this flight as well. Like it's only a small plot hole, but it's still a plot hole nonetheless. You know, one thing about this this film that proper made me laugh was that at any opportunity that they could, they said the word money plane. They didn't say the plane. <laughs> they said money plane. Like <laughs> I've, got, I've got that in my notes. <laughs> it's just like it's just, it proper made me laugh. Like every time it built up and built up, I was like, oh my god, they said it again. <laughs> I read. I wanted to watch it again this afternoon before the pod, but I ended up playing the game and just got waylaid. I was going to count how many times they said "money plane" because <laughs> it was just constant. Every other sentence. It's like they didn't know what they wanted to use for the trailer, so they thought, right, listen, if we say it enough, we've got the we've got the pick. Then we can use whichever one we want, like to put it, like a shiver one into the trailer. <laughs> So once we get on the plane, we are introduced to these so-called world's most dangerous criminals. The fucking state of these <laughs> like They look like they've just been to the local bus depot and picked up any old knacker they could find. It was not an imposing-looking bunch of criminals. The bookkeeper explains the rules of the house. Basically, there is zero, zero tolerance on cheating, and that there's no fighting unless it is permitted within the rules of the bet. We have to, we have to, I have to address the elephant in the room here. Well, it's not, it's not, it's just me being like overly analytical about these things. But the fucking southern guy with the moustache was called, <laughs> was called J.R. Crockett. That's got to be a wrestling thing. That has to be a wrestling insider yeah, thing. I'd have thought it? so. It's got to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that. He was played by, I think he was one of the Lawrence brothers, who was one of the director's brothers. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to when we get to him, because he was awesome. Uh, one of the guests asks about fucking the flight attendants. The concierge points out that these are employees of the house, but he can provide female companionship and claps his hands. That is when they bring out the whole train. <laughs> Speaking of the concierge, that is Joey Lawrence. Do you know who Joey Lawrence is? I've seen I've seen him in something. I can't put my finger on what though. So I, th- I think he was um, a, a child star originally, and 
just carried on acting. He was in a show with Melissa Joan Hart a couple of three years back. Yes. Called Melissa and Joey. He played the nanny. Yeah. yeah. Like, that dude is bald. And you see him in this, and he's had a fucking hair transplant, and it looks awful. You can see the scars and everything still. Why wouldn't I stick a hat on him? Just ridiculous. I found it quite upsetting as a bald man. It just wasn't appropriate. He was also in. Um, he was also one of the Hawaii Five O regulars. Oh, okay. Right. He was. Um, he amazingly he was tech support, and he, he was a criminal. But knowing that you um, you mentioned the the director, he was the other one from Hawaii Five O. He was right. Okay. He was in. He was um, Scott Khan's nephew. Of the show, so which doesn't really work. There's no, <laughs> they don't look anywhere near that similar. But yeah, he was a kind of re- a recurring like guest star, really, for years. Right. So I'm guessing Hawaii Five O is just like heavy on the Lawrence Brothers as well. Then, yeah, like, it's, so. there's lots. You can see how the even how it's shot. You can see that he's got all his. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if he directed an episode of that because yeah, it had a lot of the them CBS TV vibes. Mm, mm. Edge plays some Texas Holder with a couple of rooting tooting criminals. <laughs> that handlebar moustache was fake as shit. <laughs> Why on earth did they make him wear that? <laughs> like because the cowboy and because the cowboy then wins at poker, he gets to play the next game as well. So like he's proper hamming it up. I've really enjoyed his bullshit cowboy nonsense. I don't know what it was. It was silly but fun. Yeah, all all he was missing was the jacket and the um, the Stetsons. That's all he was missing from the whole set. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he wins at poker, so he gets to pick the next game, and that game is Russian Roulette. Edge tells the concierge he needs to go for a lie down, and his associate will continue in his stead. Train manages to get roped into playing Russian Roulette with a cowboy. After arguing who will go first, the cowboy exclaims, Fuck it, give me the gun, I can't lose before immediately blowing his brains out <laughs> on the first shot. <laughs> uh, do you, a quick sidebar, do you guys play poker on the rigs? Yes. Well, not regularly, but I know how to play poker. Yeah. Was that not the most uneventful showdown you've ever seen? A full house <laughs> beating a pair Against of fours. Against a pair of fours, yeah. Like, where, where's, like, the royal flush? Where's, like, the big stay? Like, like, it was just bizarre. I thought, surely they'd, they'd give it a, like... Why is Edge going all in on a pair of fours? Like, why is he? Why isn't he like give it? Give him a flush, and the other guy gets a straight flush or something. It was just mm. bizarre. So I'm reading yeah. too much into this work of art. <laughs> <laughs> what I liked when the cowboy blew his brains out, and it shows um, it reverses to the the crowd who are watching, and there's like a group of three or four women directly behind him. And one of them just gets thrown blood directly in her face. <laughs> like, it misses everybody else, and she just gets fucking covered in it. Edge and Isabel manage to work their way into the cockpit and take control of the flight without anybody on board finding out. I can't understand. Why didn't they think that they would be a co-pilot? Yeah. It's a massive fucking plane. Apparently, the one thing you need to do is do your homework for these things. And they didn't even know there'd have been a, a co-pilot. I could have told you that, and I didn't even know about this thing. It, it was like a, a B-Tech version of Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> In the meantime, Trey is continuing to bet. He bets on 17 minutes. Doesn't know what exactly is going to be 17 minutes. 
But then he finds out that it is man versus cobra and he's betting on the time of death. The man dies in 16 minutes. Quite the lucky streak there for Trey. <laughs> Trey wins the next game too as they watch some dude chop off his drinking buddy's arm with an axe. Oh yeah, we see another bet where a man is thrown into a pool handcuffed and then attacked. I can't tell if he was attacked by piranhas or was it acid in there? I wasn't quite sure what was happening. I assumed it was piranhas. Yeah. Felt like a piranha attack to me. Yeah, because when they when he's gonna it looks like he's floating like floating upwards. I mean maybe that was just <laughs> In my imagination, really wild, but it looked like he'd been skinned to the bone. Okay, at the end. Right. That, that makes sense. That makes sense. It just wasn't well. No. But nothing was well doing at all <laughs> in this film, so I would expect any difference. <laughs> Isabel is heading to the safe on the plane. It is guarded by some meathead. She gets into a fight with him. She throws a stiletto at him and it lodges into his arm. <laughs> They then wrestle where she rips off his ears. Like, this is fucking ridiculous. Before the plane crew are set to leave, Thomas Jane calls Edge on his cell phone. Over the ocean, in international waters. Is that a thing? Like, would their phones actually work yeah, out there? Yeah, it would. Believe it or not. When I flew to New York before, I had the option to, like, make calls. Okay. I was. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, sorry. You mean their phones, don't you? Yeah. Uh, like they, they were just on mobiles and stuff. And I think. Just... Yeah. I think. I think it can. I think if you're in business class, like you can use your phones and stuff. Okay. But you. You okay. are. You're forgetting that this is a futuristic money plane as well. This so mon- this is the money plane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <clears throat> Tom Jane explains that the painting that Edge was trying to steal at the start of the film was owned by Rumble the same man who sent Edge to steal it. Now, on this day, Edge sees clearly it was a setup all along hey. by Dr. Craig. <laughs> I, like I thought you'd get that. I'm sure Ash will get it as well when he listens along. <laughs> uh, Trey and Isabel are trying to get the info to Iggy on the ground via transfer from servers when they're discovered by two of the plane's less savoury characters. Isabel easily dispatches the one stabbing him in the head. Trey has a bit more difficulty before Isabel saves him by kicking the attacker into the server. Edge reveals to Fraser that he's fucked him and he's taking the money for himself and his team. Dr. Crane sends his men to Edge's family's house only for the Punisher to take out the four heavily armed assassins. Edge tells Fraser that they've taken the money and they'll be distributing it to the victims of the Rumble's human tra- trafficking. Except they don't really. They just kick the money out of the plane. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't get that at all. Yeah, which is not where giving to the poor, because if it is triangulated the signal over the the director's head, it's in the middle of nowhere. Well, I've got this like in the the later bit, but I, I didn't understand that. So they say at the beginning that they have to be in international air so as to avoid all of their illegal activities. So why did Iggy have to be in a field in the middle of fucking nowhere? If they're over international airspace, they would be out to sea, wouldn't they? Yeah, maybe, but maybe that's why he had to hijack the plane and fly back towards land. Otherwise, they could have just done it without hijacking the plane. Maybe that was the point. Mm. Okay. Okay. I, 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 but whole solved? Yeah. 
Edge plays out a, a message over the intercom to everybody on the plane, letting them know that they have been robbed and that Darius the III is the man who took down the money plane. The bookkeeper tells those on the flight they will reimburse them and that they're going to bet on how long it'll take for them to receive word of the Rumble's death. Edge has planted a... Was it a tracking device or was it a microphone? I, I couldn't figure out what the fuck it was supposed to be. It looked like it was a walkie-talkie, not anything else. Yeah, it, well, I think it was a bit of futuristic money plane technology. Um, it, <laughs> it it looked like it was it was a transmitter that records. Yeah, it was a, a dictaphone with a flashing light. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, masked men arrive at Rumble's house, and when they see the former radio psychologist firing a machine gun in their direction. Three months later, two men take missing painting out of storage, only to uncover a canvas. Blank, save for a crudely drawn stick figure, giving them the middle finger. At Edge's house, he's sat around with a painting, just being kept outside on the floor like fucking nobody's business. Tom Jane calls him, gets a call, sorry, to tell him that they have a buyer for the painting. The end. Quite a straightforward film, really. There wasn't much. <laughs> so the budget was an estimated $5 million. No way. Never. That's estimated. I mean, I... I I dispute that. But by way of comparison, Colour Out of Space was $6 million budget. But we, as we know, Colour Out of Space was done by somebody on an internship who wanted to impress. <laughs> <laughs> that went wild with software that they never could afford to use before. <laughs> so the box office. Now, obviously this was released mid-pandemic. And the highest box office of 2020 was Bad Boys for Life, which only got 400 million worldwide. And this is released straight to VOD. So obviously it's never going to be high. But the cumulative box office total worldwide was $618. (laughs) (laughs) You know what the thing thing is, though? If if this was on in a a UK release and we'd have, the three of us, would have gone to see it if we'd have got the heads up on it. So that would have been, what, 30 quid? <laughs> like, more on top of it. Yeah, it's the perfect film that if you've got um, a Cineworld Unlimited card, <laughs> you'd, you'd go and watch this in the daytime for a laugh. I almost uh, tweeted from the account the other day. I was on my um, my daily try to get my 30 minutes exercise in yesterday. So I cycled to town and back, basically, on the on the canal. And on the way back, I knew I had to go buy my meat for the for the, for the next few days. Um, but I saw I cycled past City World, and it was it was one of those kind of soon my pretty soon moments <laughs> because it's been kitted out, hasn't it? And I've not seen it since it's had all, oh, the, yeah. all the whole kit and caboodle. Um, yeah, it was, um... I've I've made a habit of just going to the one in um, in Birmingham so I can see my mate at the same time. Yeah, we we used to we went to Telford in Birmingham for. IMAX and 4DX and stuff, but yeah, it's it's re- it's it's like the rest of them now. It mm. doesn't feel like it's stuck in 1998 when it opened. Do you reckon um, we can like um, find some kind of sponsorship slash partner partner affiliate scheme with City World Wolverhampton? Do you reckon we we will have the reach? <laughs> well, we have now. We can try. We can try. You know that time we slagged you off for uh, two pro- like high ticket prices. Forget all that. <laughs> <laughs> Give us an unlimited pass each, and we'll call it quits. 
So before I give you the IMDb and Rotten Tomato scores, what do you think the scores are going to be? Stu? Oh, it's going to be pathetic. Eh? It'll be... I mean, if it's only going to make that much money... Oh, there's no way that this costs five million. No, not a chance. I mean, it couldn't have done. You, I mean, you look maybe like one or two, maybe just because of getting Kelsey Grammer, and he was the okay. best. But we'll come on to that later. But he was the best part about it. So mm. you you got to be looking at like two, two or three, something like that, for IMDb. Easy. Matt, what are you thinking? Uh, I know, I know the answer. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> so I said, to, I said to Tom, long-time listener and supporter, I said, uh, Tom, have I got the film for you? Because he's going for a like actively looking for awful films to watch. And then, and he said, and I quote, I'll tell you verbatim what he said. Um, I said, are you ready for a truly awful yet great film, Money Plane? And then he put, oh baby, jizzed when I saw it was out of ten. <laughs> So, yeah, it's a 3.2 out oh. of 10, which I think is expected. <laughs> uh, Rotten Tomatoes audience score was 38%, so pretty much the same. The critical score was a 23%. So there was only 13 critic reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, and only three of them were actually positive. And the first one, the first positive one, starts with the words, it isn't good. <laughs> <laughs> that was from Splice Today. It isn't good. Exactly, but it's noticeably sorry, it's notably cheap looking. But I still had a smile on my face for large parts of it. Flickering Myth similarly said, this feels like a throwback to the best cheesy 90s action movies. Sometimes all your movie needs are to just have a pure dumb fun. And Money Playing is exactly that. Not everybody was as positive though. The Daily Beast. In the history of dumb ideas, few have been stupider than Money Plane. North Shore movies really weren't impressed either. This is no smarmy meta-exercise in self-mockery, but rather a feat of genuine incompetence. It comes by its crappiness, honestly. Ian Thomas Malone did not like Edge in this movie. Uh, Money Plane could have been a fun disaster film, but Copeland's obvious boredom sucks all of the air out of the cockpit. That's harsh. That's very harsh. Well, uh, Finally, Crooked Marquee. <clears throat> The heist plan makes no sense. The action is sporadic and listless. The dialogue is full of macho nonsense. And the set where most of the movie is shot only vaguely resembles the interior of a plane, which I think is quite accurate. <laughs> the fan response was quite difficult to gauge, to be honest. Like There weren't many reviews, and like the five-star reviews were mostly tongue-in-cheek. So I managed to find a couple off Amazon. There was one five-star review which said, amazing and also very awful. Highly recommended three-drink minimum. <laughs> the best real, quote-unquote, review that I came across was from Peter James. Uh, I watch a ton of movies and this one was okay. The storyline was kind of different. It could have been a better film if they'd have spent money on a few decent actors. <coughs> The glossy filming and action scenes save the day. Worth watching if you like heist movies with some kick-ass chicks in it. <laughs> I didn't think she was particularly kick-ass, to be honest. But that's just me. Obviously, most of the reviews were one star. Arno Brion said that the story is good, but the main actor probably financed the movie because he's so bad. It wouldn't make <laughs> any sense for someone to hire him. Ter terribly played. Fortunately, the movie doesn't last long. 
so I watched until the end to see if it gets any good. No, it did not. RW Pickering says that it seems like this was shot by amateurs as the camera starts before the acting in a few places. <laughs> the plot is poor, the acting is awful, the scenery is childish at best. And overall, this is one of the worst movies I have ever watched. I always hate when people say this is one of the worst movies I've ever watched. Because it just makes me think you you really haven't seen that many films. Mm. It's at least competent for the most of it. May I present you Shit, left behind? But it's competent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, just the comments make me coughing up a drink is because it's everything they've said is right, but at the same time not. Yeah, exactly. So the good, the bad, and the crazy on this one. Matt, do you want to start us off? The good is is almost my crazy in that it's it's whilst being dreadful for all the things that you mentioned, it's it's completely watchable. It's short enough that it's feels it, at no point was it like, oh God, when's this going to end? It was just, it, it's perfect. The film's perfect, <laughs> even though it's terrible. But like, and I think, like I mentioned to you earlier, the film knows its limitations and it goes, it just goes with it. And that's what makes it like the, what would have been like funny is if like the cowboys like moustache would start to fall off, <laughs> like and they and they kept it in. That probably would have made it even better, to be honest. Um, mm. The bad is my good. <laughs> <laughs> it's just I don't, I don't it's just um, I'm okay. I'm okay with the film being like looking like shit and the action being wooden and everything else. But when it plays like loose and fast with like the plot the way that it did in terms of like all of a sudden we've got a woman that's broken bottles and stabbed a guy to death and mauled him. And sh- but then, Oh, I can't have this money. It's blood money. I wouldn't dare touch this <laughs> 40 million. Um, and the crazy was if I didn't love this film enough, um, it'll, it mirrors one of the greatest films of all time. Um, that's un- underappreciated in its ending um, in being the ultimate disaster movie. <laughs> as just the, the original painting just, just lazily shodden on a, on a wall. Excellent, excellent film. When I started this podcast with you, Pet, I never thought Bean would get as many mentions as it does. <laughs> but it was though, it looked like Whistler's mother in that film where he just draws the eyes on. <laughs> Stu, what's your good, bad, and crazy? And the good was Kelsey Grammer. I thought he was he was the only one who who could actually act. <laughs> mm. And he, he was he played it so straight as well. I thought uh, he was just wonderful. Um I thought Edge was pretty shit to be honest. <laughs> but yeah, Kelsey Grammer, I mean the, the premise wasn't bad. I mean, it, the premise in itself was an, a, a nice idea. But again, then it goes on to ruined I mean uh, as has been said many times, I love shit films, um, but this was almost too far in the shit scale for even me. <laughs> and I, I was, I mean, there was some quotes in there that I just, I just burst out laughing with, and I thought she was okay. I thought she was, she obviously couldn't do any of that. I mean, in that that fight scene with the uh, by the server room where she's with the glass bottles, and mm. it, it's like the worst student film you could possibly imagine. <laughs> um, it's Katrina Norman, the actress's name. Okay. Isabella, apparently her character's name is if that I don't think that name's even said once 
in the whole film. But <laughs> yeah. Um But when you got lines like I'm the baddest motherfucker on the planet <laughs> You can't I loved that. You can't not smile. And it's yeah. an hour and twenty minutes long. And it is it's the perfect length. I mean the bad, obviously no one can act any the scene the scenery's all crap and it looks it looks like someone's it's almost like it's a parody of an actual film in parts. Mm. Mm. But the actual film doesn't exist yet. <laughs> so that's the bad. I mean they're crazy. I mean I kind of mentioned it just that this has got there's something there with it. And if you put Nicolas Cage in the <laughs> it's gonna be a question <laughs> for later. He yeah. would improve this. Yeah, he would. Okay, yeah, that, that we'll we'll get to that in a second. So my good, I've agreed with you, Stu. Kelsey Grammer, absolutely scenery chewing best in this film. Like I don't know why, but hearing him say "motherfucker" <laughs> just felt big time. I don't know what it is, but I don't really recall hearing Kelsey Grammer being particularly sweary in anything else. So hearing him do it in this just felt like such a departure. And I really enjoyed every time he was on screen. Yeah. Am I well, like I'm sorry to interrupt you, Andy. Am I misjudging Kelsey Grammer as being bigger than he is? Because apart from Frasier and playing Sideshow Bob, he plays Sideshow Bob, doesn't he? He does. I'm sure he does. Has he been in anything else? Like of note? He was in X-Men. He was Beast in X-Men. Oh, of course he was, yeah. It's because all I could think to myself was, though, like, he, he was in this, which was obviously a commercial flop. And he was in that other film, um, oh, what was it, The with the painfully erotic Southern Belle, Nick Cage film. Um, oh, shit, of course he was, yeah. I'd forgot he was Grand in Oil. that. Um, yeah, Grand Isle. Um, and I think to myself, actually, is he is he now like C list or D list? Is no, he not is as big as I th- as I think he is? He probably isn't over here, but he's like American TV royalty. Eh? You've got to. You've so got that's, to think where... so that's, what, that's what I mean. Well, that's what I thought. So I mean, then, why is he kind of limiting himself to these kind of films? That's what. Maybe yeah. He, maybe he just wants to laugh. I mean, he was in Expendables three, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's very highly regarded. I think. But just looking on his IMDb page now, I found another film of his we need to watch called Guardians of the Tomb, an innocent discovery of a well-preserved mummified Chinese emperor from 200 BC on Earth, a 2,000-year-old uh, nightmare. It has got a 4.5 out of 10. And there is no one else. Oh, Kellen Lutz is in it. That's how fucking low down we're going. <laughs> we're going to have to watch that at some point. <laughs> uh, my bad... Oh, God. Why did they keep recapping the story? Every five or ten minutes, they would tell us what's just happened in the last five or ten minutes. It was ridiculous. Like, the film's only 80 minutes long, and they must have recapped the movie about nine times. Mm. It's unbelievable. They must really think the audience was dumb as fuck. (laughs) Well, we watched it, so we are. (laughs) Yeah, true. (laughs) And none of it makes any sense. Like, not even a lick of sense. So the money plane only operates because it's illegal gambling. So it has to take place over international waters. But they're still killing people on the ground. That's the illegal act, not <laughs> betting on it. So like, why are they doing that? It just seems utterly pointless. And also, they tell us that Edge had this gambling problem, which is why he's in debt to uh, the Rumble. 
but like they don't follow through on it or anything. They don't show us any more of his addiction to gambling. They just mention it and then on to the next bit. Pointless. And then when the crew finally leave the plane, who the fuck's pl- flying it? <laughs> like when they announce, well, yeah, futuristic money plane. Um, and everyone who's on the plane, the concierge, the bookkeeper, and all of the other criminals, when they find out that there's no one flying the plane, they don't give a shit. <laughs> they just carry on betting. Like, does no one think, oh, better get in the fucking cockpit and fly this motherfucker? And my crazy, I'm pretty certain that Kelsey Grammer only filmed for one day on this film. If you look, he doesn't actually share any screen time with any other actor other than his one bodyguard, uh, P. Roach. She said, fuck, what an awful name that was. <laughs> Even the conversation he has with Edge, it's always shot over his shoulder. So you never see his face on the screen the same time as Edge. So I don't think he was there more than four or five hours. <laughs> no. <laughs> so did you enjoy this film Stu um kind of it's I mean lo- looking at it you'd think I'd love this but I, it's one of them I can't recommend this to anyone so because it's not really that good even in a bad way so I kind of even for me not really but it was still enjoyable in a kind of sick way okay Matt? I don't consider myself like the man of culture of the podcast or anything, but like the bookies would have me as not enjoying this, but I, I thought it was thought it was great. Like I but I, I because you get to you get to pick at it so much and take and take the piss out of it and they and, and they got the people they know it's not it, it had airplane vibes to it, as in the film airplane. Mm. Um, so yeah, I thought, I thought it was great, and, and I will, and I will like shout it from the rooftops for people to watch to have a laugh with it. Not because it's a good action film, but to have a laugh with it. Oh, it's yeah. it's barely an action film at all. <laughs> no, that is true. Uh, yeah, I, I love it. I, I've seen it like I saw it when it first came out last June or July. I've watched it probably two or three times since then, and then obviously for this podcast, like I I genuinely like it. It's got the same level as The Room in that the actors play the role straight, which is where the comedy comes from, because it's so absurd. <laughs> it, it comes back to what we discussed last time in the uh, Willy's Wonderland episode, that so bad it's good, and it helps when the the source material is treated like gospel. And I do feel that they treated the, the, the script like it was king, and it was dog shit, but it made for a watchable film. So... Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And I'm with Matt. I, I will recommend this movie to people. So the other the other question is, based on this film, would Nick Cage improve it? And where would you cast him in this movie? Stu? Yeah, 100% he would. When you, you put him you put him there instead of Edge because he didn't do anything. Cause he got, I don't think his face can move that much. I think that's, that's his problem. Um, I thought he was terrible in this, to be fair. So... I mean, peak Nick Cage having a laugh, Nick Cage, as in Willy's Wonderland and um, Colour Out of Space. This kind of era, Nick Cage, hamming it up as a kind of villainous gambling addict who can fly planes as well for Mm. who knows why. That would be 10 times better. Yeah, I I completely agree. Like, I, I don't think you could replace Kelsey Grammer because I think he stole the film. 
he was the best thing in it, so it would be harsh to replace him. And Edge, like I love, I love Edge. I genuinely do, but he does bring this film down. He's not dynamic enough for the role, so I agree. I think Nick Cage would be the that that would be his role to replace, and I think he would improve it. Matt, what do you think? I think he would improve it, but I would give him a much more minor role to bring some of the scenes to a little bit more life. So I would give him the role as a concierge, then have him make it feel like more of a carnival theme, make it a bit Mm. more of like a burlesque kind of casino and being that kind of um, the magnificent Nick Cage kind of thing. (laughs) Just to give just to give it a bit more life, um, mm. because I, you know, I don't think I don't think that Edgy's character, I suppose Nick Cage would add this himself. I guess there's just not there's there's nothing interesting enough about him to give Nick Cage that opportunity to be crazy. Whereas you give the concierge a showman role, I think he gets mm. a chance to do that. Yeah, I mean, when I think about the film, I find the gambling scenes quite disappointing, mm-hmm, really. For sure, yeah. Like, we we get the Texas Hold'em, Russian roulette, and then they watch a few videos of people getting killed or maimed. I, I really think they missed the trick. They could have gone with some, like, batshit stuff and actually have people fighting on a plane that they've got to fight over a steak with a ravenous fucking animal. Or, you know, just something <laughs> stupid. But have it there and just show us a few different things. Uh, you know, even if you're going to show a dude fucking an alligator, just give us something a bit different, you know. Mm-hmm. So I do feel like they missed the trick there. And yeah, you probably are right. That would be a good sh- role to showcase that crazy side of Cage that we, we've all come to love, thanks to this podcast. Mm-hmm. So finish the sentence. If you enjoyed Money Plane, you might also like. Matt, do you want to go first? Wow. Um, <laughs> I don't know, really, really know where to start with that because I can't compare. I've I've never really been into like the Sharknado films or that kind of like so you know that kind of mm. area. So I don't nothing I can compare it to. I really don't because it's just like I've never seen anything quite like it. Maybe that's why I enjoyed <laughs> it so much. But I love I, I love an actual good heist film. Um, and I've, it's been a while since I've seen Lucky Number Eleven, so I would recommend if you enjoyed this for the heistish elements, please mm. go watch that. Stu, what are you recommending? Executive decision. And a, Fucking hell! Yeah, an actual film about an actual plane and terrorists seizing control of a plane in an, in the air, which is kind of uh, maybe that's why I didn't like it as much because I had the executive decision in my head. When I, when I started watching it, thinking, mm. oh, it's going to be about planes and watching a few uh, episodes of Air Crash from last year, earlier on in the week. And then you just to see a set. But yeah, executive decision, great. Actually, a really entertaining, good film. Not seen it for a while, so it might not be mm. anymore. But from what I remember of it, it was good. So yeah, if you like planes and thrillers and, well, Stephen Seagal-ish, a little bit, um, then go and watch that. Good choice, that one. Mine is a film that actually I, I think Tom Tom Kearney might actually want to put this on his list if he's going through bad bad but good films. It's a movie called the Hurricane the Hurricane Heist. <laughs> it's absurd, like properly awful, but much like Money Playing, the actors take it seriously enough that it adds a a level of watchability to it. 
It's starring, uh, is it Ralph Ineson who plays Finchie oh, yeah, in yeah. The Office? Yeah, it's him, Toby Cable from Dead Man's Shoes, and Maggie Grace, who was in Lost. So, might be one for you as well, mm, Max. It's a group of robbers attempt to steal money from a governmental facility which destroys old banknotes in the middle of a hurricane. Uh, there's chases between two Arctic lorries, lots of shootouts, a hurricane, awful accents, just everything you want to see in a cheesy, dumb but fun movie. I think it was out in 2017 or 18. 18. I, I yeah. think both of you might enjoy this. I've seen it. I've seen crazy. it. <coughs> he has. a director of The Fast and the Furious. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. Awful, but fun. <laughs> <laughs> so if you've seen this film or anything else that we've discussed, why not drop us an email? Or you can even send us an MP3 with your thoughts to cagefightingpod at gmail.com. Make sure you've got us on Twitter at cagefightingpod. This is where we put out our calls for questions. Uh, as you're listening now, please make sure you've hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode of our question cast picture pods and uncaged and obviously we dropped an uncaged recently so please make sure you check that out whilst you're subscribing please leave us a review tell us what you want to hear or what you don't want to hear if you aren't enjoying it and uh, finally thank you just for giving us the time out of your week and listening along we really appreciate it so for this week matt would you like to say goodbye take it easy guys money playing <laughs> Stu, would you like to say goodbye? Rules were meant to be fucked. You want to get fucked? <laughs> it's goodbye from me. And remember, you can bet on a dude fucking an alligator. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs> So what was it like for you uh, working opposite Kelsey Grammer? Because he's just so fun as the bad guy in this. You're a gambling man, Jack. Not anymore. Once a gambling man, always a gambling man. Here's a little backstory with that. My mom and I, the first show that, that we ever really watched together, I had just become old enough to watch Cheers with her. So Thursday nights, we would watch Cheers together. Then we would watch Frasier together. Now. Her favorite actor, bar none. No one comes close. Like, no one could even hold a flame to Kelsey Grammer in my mom's eyes. So fast forward a few years, and, and my mom was diagnosed with cancer. She was going through her chemo, and we would be down there, and she would say, I just want to go home and watch Frasier. I'm like, right, that's what we're going to do. It was such a great experience. It was so much fun, and he was so much fun, especially with some of his dialogue. That's what I think is going to shock people when they hear some of the stuff that falls out of his face in this movie. (laughs) I was sitting there going, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not supposed to say that. Yeah. (laughs) Darius Emanuel Grouch, the third. Better known as The Rumble. I am very disappointed. The painting wasn't there. Someone knew we were coming. Warhol, de Kooning, Pollock. Bunch of bitches. How about I just blow your brains out? I'll create my own damn Pollock.
we just get to the job? Good man, Jack. Good man. There is a legend in the underworld, those in the know, it's called a money plane. Some of the baddest motherfuckers on the planet are on that plane, all craving action. Whatever you want to wager on, the money plane has you covered. You want to bet on a dude fucking an alligator. Money plane. Untouchable by any government because the flight always takes place in international airspace. <laughs> 